This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, japes and tricks and festive diversions. Traditional games played at Yule and Christmas. Oh, it's Christmas time! It's Christmas time. And when you're hearing this, guys, it's going to be Christmas Eve, so only one more sleep till Christmas. Yes! And actually, perhaps this episode will give you a few sort of ideas of of little games to play on on Christmas Day, or on Boxing Day as well. I think Boxing Day is a good day for games as well. Yes, definitely. Well, Boxing Day is the day I usually see my family, so that is the day we tend to play Christmas games. I do love a good Christmas game. I like a good Christmas game. We're all a bit mad on quizzes and things, but we'll get we'll get into that a bit later. <laughs> um, so we also uh, we we decided to do this episode because the dragons <laughs> do have a slightly nasty habit of talking about blood and rituals and sacrifices <laughs> and. Like even evil pagan deities that are going to kidnap you on Christmas. So this year we thought, you know what? Like the whole year's been full of, you know, blood and, <laughs> and death. death and all that. So why don't we talk about something a little less bloodthirsty and talk about something actually quite nice, which might inspire you all. That being said, Jules, do you know what I I was looking through? Do you know what one of our most popular episodes for this year was? I don't actually. It was cursed objects, so I'm pretty sure our listeners. <laughs> Not cannibalism. It then. wasn't cannibalism. No, no. I think no. that was too much for even for some people. But everyone got really super stoked for the cursed, for the cursed objects. So you know, like I, I, I actually think that they want blood first. I think that's why they come to us. But even, even so, we're going to give you a break from that, um, and talk about some fun things. So. See- that's made me think that, you know, people are looking for cursed objects because they're looking for genuine ideas <laughs> for things to do. Things to make and do, kind of children kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, I, I can totally get that. And the whole idea of this, you know, this podcast is that you can dip into the, into the episodes or the subjects that interest you. But I did laugh a lot when I was like, cursed objects seems to have really... <laughs> that hit the spot. That really People hit the spot. <laughs> awesome. Okay, um, right. So we are looking at some of the games and festive activities that people have played throughout history. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we've talked before about how in the winter people come together um, for various different reasons um, and not just for procreation either but just generally because people like to gather together in the colder months Mm -hmm. and story tell and things like that and um, so we're now looking at games and in theory this should be a nice light episode without anything too gory but you never can tell with us you never can tell (laughs) our favourite Christmas game is to hunt humans for sport um (laughs) Yeah, we talked about hunting the red last year, which is <laughs> yeah, we we're not going to go there. <laughs> so, I think before we start and sort of get into some of the traditional games, um, we should actually say what are our own Christmas games. So, what kind of games do you play at Christmas, Jules? Um, well, you know, <laughs> there was one year where Alan and I kind of got. Um, one of his old consoles set up and we basically sort of tag team through Baldur's Gate together <laughs> which is a lot of fun okay it's not Christmassy admittedly but it was fun um, and my family they're all a bit mad on quizzes so all through I mean last Christmas when we were basically in lockdown again um, and my family were all like self-isolating their own little pods um, we we got together on Zoom and had a family quiz and we did several of them through the year. And and that is something that we've done every single year as child permitting. There are small children involved now, so um it's it's easier now that sort of um my niece and my well, one of my nieces and my nephew have got to an age where if you include sort of five children's questions, they're quite happy to sit there and join in the quiz because mm. it's something you do. Um but uh, it can be a bit of a struggle with really, really small children that don't know what's going on. Yeah. But um, yes, it's fun and we get very competitive. Um, 
there's no quarter given you know i'm not saying blood is drawn but you know it's pretty close at times <laughs> i remember the year that it, there was a sudden death thing between ella and me over a particular set of books and i beat her by like half a point <laughs> <laughs> And then real blood was drawn. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but it was kind of. There was a. We're all all three of us as sisters are kind of really competitive. I think we were kind of raised to be competitive without realizing that's what had happened. <laughs> so now it's anything. I mean, Ella is the sister who, years ago, when her boyfriend beat her at pool, didn't say anything. Went home to my dad, who's actually really good at playing pool, and got lessons from my dad, so that the next time she went out with her boyfriend, who eventually became her husband um she absolutely wiped the floor <laughs> this is what i mean this is the level of competitiveness in my family i like it she went through a whole training montage <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> what about you so uh we we really like playing um charades cool classic yeah it is it's a classic we do we really really do enjoy playing it um we also play a lot of sort of um sort of word kind of games and things like that in particular i mean we so we always play charades from a young age because that was just something that we all really really loved doing and i have a very vivid memory of playing it with my with my parents and my mum stood up and as she stood up she she went it's a book and i immediately went emma and she just sat down <laughs> <laughs> Because there's a limited number of ones that she'd choose, which she knew we'd all know. And so I, I knew immediately what it was going to be. Um, so, so See, that's made me think of the last few days at school, right before Christmas. And we always ended up playing Hangman. Did you ever play that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And there was one where the history teacher put up... Um, <laughs> she, she put up the gaps on the board where the, the letters would go. Mm -hmm. And she's like, okay... If someone wants to give me the first letter and I put my hand up and she's like, what letter? And I'm like, no, I want to have a guess. And she's like, are you sure? And my team was going, no. And I loaded it and went seven brides for seven brothers. And everyone went, huh, what's that? <laughs> but I was right. And I uh, somehow 14 year old me had just looked at it and gone, oh, yes, we have the right number of letters for this. We have the right number of words. It is obviously this. This is, this is um, so yeah, that was weirdly that didn't make me very popular. But like, <laughs> the history teacher is impressed. Everyone else is kind of like you weirdo. <laughs> Don't play word games with me, basically. Yeah, but um, after because uh, you know I've mentioned before that you know when my mother got sick, um, she lost her sight and things like that. So we started to play a lot of kind of word games, and there's two games that we played in particular. One. Uh, actually, we both we cre we sort of created both of them. Um, one of them is one we've played for a long time in my family, and it's called the sock jumper game. Okay. Um, and this is because when I was a little girl, um, I didn't call tights tights. I called them sock jumpers. Oh. Um, and I had all sorts of word names and things like that for for different objects, um, just based on sort of how I you know how I interpreted them. And so the sock jumper game is that somebody gives a word, it could be anything, so it could be like a, a globe, a book, a television, a mobile phone, and everyone else has to come up with an alternative name for it, which is something that like a child might, you know, come up with. But it could also be a pun, it could be, you know, pretty much anything. Um, so it could just be sounds or it could be, you know, whatever. Um, and the person who's come up with the word chooses the one that they like the best, essentially. So that was one game that we played. And the other one that we play is that everyone picks... So you have one person and you you pick... They, they pick a, a, a character or a, um, a historical figure or a sort of... A, 
a famous person and everyone then has to ask them questions and the que- so it's not are they dead or alive or anything like that instead it's if they were a car what kind of car would they be if they were a color what kind of color would they be if they were a book what kind of book would they be etc yeah until you can guess who the person is cool that's a lot more creative than our, our quiz night <laughs> <laughs> Our squabbly quiz <laughs> So, yeah, so we tend to play those games. Uh, we also play card games over Christmas. Um, we'll play whatever sort of we have. Sometimes it'll be things like Cards Against Humanity um, or Exploding Kittens or, you know, things like that. And also um, now a tradition we're starting up is D&D, so, which I think is very Christmassy. <laughs> Festive D&D. Festive D&D. Um, awesome. So yeah, so we we definitely enjoy games over Christmas. Cool. Also puzzles. I always used to really love puzzles, but um, I just haven't really done anything like that for ages. I I don't know. Maybe it's because um, sort of the the whole idea of doing a jigsaw puzzle just doesn't interest Alan at all. Yeah. So it's kind of like a space issue. <laughs> because <laughs> it would have to be a pretty complicated jigsaw puzzle but yeah I always found them quite fun and satisfying my parents were really into them I liked uh, other sort of types of puzzles and things as well yeah so yes give me something to solve and I'm perfectly happy <laughs> okay so let's now delve into the history of games because obviously this goes back a long long way so let's talk about some traditional Christmas or winter kind of games. Yes, so we're going to take you back through the mist of memory. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going right back to the Neolithic period. Yeah. Um, In in fairness, this is going to be a bit of a sparse one just because in terms of what we have written down about the Neolithic period from the Neolithic period is pretty much non-existent. Neolithic Um, charades. Neolithic charades. Oh, it's a mammoth. It's a mammoth. (laughs) Not quite that Neolithic. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so we're guesstimating, um, but archaeological evidence strongly suggests that there was much merrymaking around the time of the winter solstice. Um, And, you know, they've, they've obviously had digs at various different places, including Stonehenge. Yep. Um, they dug up lots and lots of animal bones there and from the way that the, the bones were marked obviously they could tell that they'd been sort of prepared, cooked and even that the animals had been driven long distances so presumably they'd been driven long distances and then slaughtered for feasts Can you imagine that? <laughs> we're going to make you go a really long way and then at the end is death Like that's, that's the worst yes. Yep so yes, we're going to the Temple of the Sun. Oh right, great, are we partying? Well, you're going to be there, kind of. <laughs> oh yeah, you're um, going to be the real <laughs> You're going to be the... <laughs> the real attraction. Um, but yeah, lots of meat was eaten, especially beef and pork. And it, you know, if you think about the typical sort of Neolithic diet the rest of the time, you wouldn't necessarily eat meat every day. No. Um, just because, you know, the, <laughs> you had to either hunt it or rear it and you couldn't afford to, to do either in sort of quantities that we perhaps we we now do nowadays um we can probably assume based on sort of anthropological examination of other type tribal type cultures that there was dancing and bonfire leaping and probably storytelling because you literally can't get two humans together in the winter anywhere without someone telling a story yeah um and there was probably hunt and battle pantomimes as well so when, Marad- when Madeline was talking about Neolithic charades, she wasn't actually that far off. <laughs> except they were more like mini plays. And there was probably things like gambling and riddling as well. Except, you know, you'd been gambling on things like knuckle bones. Yes. And riddles, of course. Yeah. And there was gift giving. That's something that, you know, seems to be quite clear as well from archaeological evidence. And, you know, the must-haves of the season seem to be things like small bronze blades and beads and things for your for your hair or for adorning your clothing or what have you. That's cool. So That's cool. not much so, has changed, really. Not much has changed, yeah. Beads, beads and blades. Beads and blades. <laughs> beads and blades. <laughs> the two things any girl wants. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 
So yes, in the Neolithic period, we know that people got together, they celebrated and they ate lots and um, there was much merrymaking and rejoicing. Ah, oh, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Skipping forward a couple of thousand, well, definitely a few hundred, but definitely a couple of thousand, uh, up to a thousand years, um, takes us to the Roman era. And um, and them Romans love to party. Oh, we know the Romans love to party. Um, obviously, the Roman version of what we now call Christmas, or Yule, was Saturnalia. Um, and it follows some of the traditions that, you know, became sort of across the board traditions for various other things. And it's quite interesting to think about whether um, what happened, whether whether some of the things that they did were things that, you know, kind of got imbibed into um, the sort of the Celtic, Saxon, etc. cultures as as they, you know, as the different times sort of stacked on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, um, everything was turned upside down in Saturnalia, as in your position, your status, etc., was was transformed. So slaves were served by their masters. There was drinking, feasting. Everybody wore the cap of liberty, called the uh, pileus. Um, which, if you think now, if you pull a Christmas cracker, there's usually a little hat inside and. No one really knows where the Christmas hat tradition has come from. <laughs> but I, I thought that was quite interesting. It sort of sounds um, a bit like Carnival. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably where Carnival came from. Mm. And, and we do have a lot of our own traditions whereby, you know, we had the Lord of Misrule and things where things were changed around and, you know, peasants were allowed to talk back to their masters etc so it's the same sort of thing so it's where did it come from originally or was this something that people recognize on a deep level needs to happen that you cannot keep people fixed in one position yeah without any relief so i mean it was the one day of the year when slaves were actually allowed to criticize their masters without consequences as well so interesting um, games included satirical songwriting and poems, which were also gifts. Ooh. So making up snarky verses about someone. <laughs> Happy Saturnalia. <laughs> I was like, my gift to you <laughs> are these beads and a blade. Um, oh, and my gift to you is a snarky poem. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, moving on through the ages, we'll, we're skipping ahead again yep. to the medieval era. Obviously, people in between did celebrate Yule, Christmas, the winter solstice, what have you. But, you know, we're just giving you snapshots of history here. Yeah. Um, we've talked in the past about the Lord of Misrule and caroling and, you know, what generally happened after leaping the bonfire. Yes. Um, so we won't go into that. But we've, um, and mumming and guising as well, which was a big thing. Yes. Um, other games... Included things like hot cockles. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you heard of this one? <laughs> this, this reminds me of a playground game that, you know, you only get tricked into playing once or twice unless you're a real sadomasochist. Yeah. Basically, hot cockles, you stand with your back to a group of people and then someone comes up behind you and slaps you around the face and you have to guess who was the hot cockle. <laughs> So, um, yes, that one's interesting. I think if you guess correctly, they then become the slapper. <laughs> you become the slappy. Um, <laughs> something like that. Gosh. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun. Well, it's like this was actually, a, you know, maybe not the higher echelons of court, but it was certainly the lower echelons of court who played this. This wasn't just a peasant game. Yeah. And to be honest, um, I can totally see members of court playing this game yes um and you know there's various other things like um they did lots of snow related games as well i mean if you remember sort of uh, a certain point of the medieval era i think it was around the 1300s but technically they were entering a mini ice age that lasted way up until sort of the early 1800s Mm. Um, so we had lots more snow than you would generally see in this part of the world yeah at that time um, so they did lots of skating, sledging, outdoor ball games and things in the snow as well, both both men and women. Um, and if we're talking about rough games, well, let's also talk about the Cornish pastime of shinning. Oh, which, you know, but even, it even <laughs> sounds very uninviting, doesn't it? 
Well, people used to die of shinning. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the proper form of shinning that we came to know much, much later in the sort of 1700s was done with hobnail boots, but its origins probably date back to the medieval era. Basically, you get two people and um, the rules are that you put your hands on each other's shoulders and then you kick each other in the shins repeatedly until someone cries uncle or collapses. Um, uh, yep, it's just about as bad as it's. <laughs> yeah, see, I think they started off doing it in bare feet. Yeah. And because it would have been out in the snow, it would have been cold and it probably didn't last very long. But it got rid of some of the high spirits, etc. And then obviously later on, it's kind of like, oh, I'm so tough, I can do it in hobnail boots kind of thing. And people did, used to get their legs completely mangled and some of them used to die of infections afterwards. It's, it's a, it is a weird thing that people will be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do a game that involves pain. Like, no, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, winter was also the time for boar hunting. Ah, yes. Which, again, was... Not exactly the safest no, pastime. Very dangerous. Boars are big and strong, and they have tusks, <laughs> and they're hard they're also to kill. Not stupid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they are not stupid at all. Um, but um, boar meat was supposed to be something that was very warming and rebalanced your humours. In the winter, you were thought to have an excess of phlegm. Not literal phlegm as we would know it now, but phlegm as in one of the medieval humours. And it was something that cooled you down, etc. Um, but it cooled you down too much in the winter. And ergo, you needed warming meat. So you'd have mulled wine and you'd have boar meat, which was supposed to be a warming meat. Huh. So there you go. That's partly why it was kind of like, yes, we must go out and hunt for wild pigs. <laughs> Okay, well, let's jump ahead uh, from the medieval period and and let's sort of look at the Tudor period because this is where things start to... I, I'm not going to say get a little bit more recognisable, but we, we, you know, certainly there are elements here which we, we kind of start to see um, still to this day. So the Tudors yeah. were a little bit more sedate. Well, I say they were a little bit more sedate. It obviously depended where you were. But, um, but I mean, they loved their dancing. Yes, the dancing was a big one. Um, certainly, I mean, Henry VIII deserves a lot of the bad rap he gets, uh, if not all of it. But he yeah. was actually still a talented musician, a talented dancer. And, you know, in his early years, he was a true Renaissance man. You yeah. know, accomplished, could speak several languages, etc. Was great at parties. Yeah. Um, you know the the fact that he was an absolute dick doesn't doesn't negate that, yeah. that early early stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know some of the more familiar carols that got adapted by the Victorians were originally written by Henry VIII. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a there's the holly green grows the holly and various others. I mean, we know he wrote Lady Greensleeves as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were dances and things that were set to the music that he wrote. So, yeah, they were very big on dancing and not least because, you know, it was a sedate way of flirting and touching without it actually yeah. devolving into. And also getting to show off your ankles. And also getting to show off your ankles if you're a man. Yeah. Well, no, because there was also they would do certain dances where if where because the way of the skirt would sort of, you know, shift as you were dancing you might yes. get a peak of, of the women's ankles and this was oh, all yeah. very sort of <laughs> titillating. <laughs> titillating. Um, there yeah. was also cushion dancing. Cushion dancing is, is was very popular in Elizabeth I's court. Yeah. Um, basically what happens is a man is dancing with hopefully a bunch of other people, not just randomly by himself, like the one lone Christian person at the disco. <laughs> Um, yeah, and he then stops in front of a woman of his choice, places a cushion down in front of her, kneels down and kisses her on the lips. And she then takes up the cushion, joins the dance, and then she selects a man in it. So it goes along, the cushion gets passed around until everybody's dancing. Right. But I mean, in technically, that was kind of a bit risque as well. Yeah. And it was a way of actually showing 
a preference for somebody. It just sounds uncomfortable, to be honest. But uh, you can be dancing around with the cushion. Well, not so much that. The the whole sort of kneeling down and kissing. Like I don't really want to dance, and I don't really want to kiss you, but. I was just forced to be here by my mother. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, we also had <laughs> King of the Bean. <laughs> yes, King of the Bean. So um, I'm pretty sure that people are for, who are familiar with Christmas pudding, certainly over here in the UK, mm-hmm. um, they used to have shillings put in them. Yes. Or sixpence, depending on what you could afford. Um and if you, you know, if you got the, sl- the slice of pudding with a shilling in, it was yours to keep kind of thing. Well, that it originated with uh, a sort of pudding type thing, which isn't quite the same as our Christmas pudding, which had a bean in it. And if you had the bean and you were a man, you became king of the bean. So you kind of became king of misrule, lord of misrule kind of thing. Yeah. If you were a woman and you got it, you got to nominate who became king of the bean. And basically everyone imitated the King of the Bean. They drank when he drank. I mean, it all sounds like an excuse to get rip-roaringly drunk, to be honest. Yeah. In And across the Mediterranean, we, ha- we have a very similar thing. It's called Le Galette de Roi, yeah. the Galette of the Kings. And it's been sort of appropriated a little bit by, you know, the Christian, you know, Christianity. But I'm almost certain that it's older than that. Um, and you you actually have it on the sixth of January in across the Mediterranean to mark the day of the kings arriving to see Jesus, um, and there's sort of various rules, but yeah, there'll be a little. Usually, it's an almond because it's made with almond paste instead. Yeah. So it'll be an almond or a sixpence or a little sort of mar- a little kind of ceramic figure or something like that, and whoever uh, gets it is crowned the king. And the duties of the king will vary depending who is, you know, um, where you are. Uh, I will say that one of the fun things is that the the youngest in the family gets to decide who all of the slices go to. So the youngest goes under the table, they cut the the gallet up, and then the person who's cutting it will say, I've got this one slice, and the youngest decides who the slice goes to. And I know this because I'm the youngest, so I was always... <laughs> squirreled under the table and got to choose who got which slice and oh. um in some places it you you get crowned you get to do whatever you want that day in others you the whoever is crowned le the le roi has to then buy the galette for the following year hmm. so yeah so it, it's a thing which you know you see across cultures um, the Tudors were also like this is around the time that the, that that we started to get sugar in in the UK. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd been getting loaf sugar yeah. for a couple of well, several hundred years before that, but we got it in serious, serious amounts by the Tudor era. Yeah, um, and they loved sugar. They added it to already sweet wine. They added it to already sweet cakes and things. Um, there was a reason that a lot of the the higher up you went the worse people's teeth got yeah they would make these statues out of sugar or they yeah. would ha- they would serve desserts on plates made of sugar yeah subtleties there was a real art form into sort of making them yeah um and you know in theory they probably weren't really meant to be eaten <laughs> but it's made of sugar what's gonna happen let's be honest yeah you're at least going to lick the plate clean, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, let's go on to the Regency era. Again, we're <laughs> skipping forward through time. And uh, Can I say we're... my favourite thing about the Regency era is the names of the games? <laughs> they're, they're great. They, they're, this is a small selection of the more sedate parlour games. Um, what I want everyone to remember is that as sedate and innocent as these parlour games are, as I describe them, some young rake adapted them and turned them into a drinking game at the local tavern just down the road from the vicarage where he was born, okay? Yeah. Okay, so the first one is it's Buffy Gruffy. <laughs> oh, yes, let's play a little Buffy Gruffy. Um, 
this in theory was supposed to be quite a sedate game because you weren't actually using your hands at all. Mm -hmm. You had one player who was it, who was blindfolded, and the other players all sat around them in a circle in chairs. The player who was blindfolded then had to select somebody in a chair and they were sort of like mince forward really, really carefully because they're blindfolded and they can't see. And they would use their knees to ascertain whether somebody was in the chair. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they'd end up addressing an empty chair, which I'm sure was hilarious. But, <laughs> um, but you know, because they were touching with their knees, they'd be able to tell whether someone was there without being all handsy, which is something that turns up in the Victorian games we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, although I'm sure they thought it was very risque, you know. Yes. Oh, knees touching. Knees touching. Um and the person in the chair would have to answer questions put to them by the, the blindfolded person. Mm -hmm. But they needed to disguise their voice so they so that the person with the blindfold on wouldn't know who it was. So they'd lower their voice, they'd make it sound gruff or growly or what have you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if the person uh, guessed correctly, then obviously you swapped and that was the person who then became it, etc. Okay. It's so sedate. <laughs> it's so sedate. Um, sometimes, they, I mean, it depended on how they played the game. If they didn't guess correctly, the person in the middle sometimes was given a forfeit instead mm. of having to have another turn. Which brings us on to forfeits. There were all sorts of games they played forfeits for. And there's so many of them that, you know, we'll touch on some more in a minute. Um, just to talk about forfeits themselves... <laughs> It was a little bit like our early sort of truth or dare, except you were it wasn't truth or dare. Yeah. Um, but in the sense of this was a way of getting somebody to do something they wouldn't ordinarily do. Yeah. Usually with their consent. So quite often forfeits turned out to be a kiss. Yeah. Which, again, was considered a little bit sort of, that's a bit risque for the Regency era. Yeah. Do, do you play any games with, with forfeits at the moment, Jules? Not anymore, no. <laughs> Sorry, I sounded really surprised. And I was kind of like, no, that was my teenager. <laughs> it was just like, not anymore. Not after the last time. Not after <laughs> the last time. The forfeit was to kill a man. And since then, we've we've just not had a taste for it. We... Oh, you think you're joking. <laughs> we, um, whenever we have fondue, um, which, you know, occasionally we will have. Again, a very, a big winter treat is fondue. Um, and so European, it's it's unbelievable. But it's the perfect thing for snowy conditions, big fondue. And if you drop your bread in the cheese during the fondue, you have to do a forfeit. Ah. Yeah. So, so I've never had sort of eating food be become such a such a risky venture before, but we do that every time. So forfeits are still very, very popular. Um, moving on from sort of forfeits and puffygraphy, uh, we then have steal the white loaf, which yeah, is not it's... nearly as suggestive as it sounds. It's really not. Um, did you ever play a game at school called What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? Yes. Yeah. It's a little bit like that, but without all the shouting and running and stuff. Mm. <laughs> because we know Regency, Regency Parlour game. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, you have one person who stands with their back to everybody else and there is a treasure of some kind on the floor. Right. This is the white loaf. The other players have to take it in turns to try and sneak up behind the person who has their back to everyone mm -hmm. and take the treasure without them. If the person turns and catches them, then again, they their positions are reversed. They become it, if you like. Right. So, I mean, that... To our modern sensibilities, that sounds probably a bit tame, but I think, again, they added forfeits, and, you know, there were there were young men, probably young women, playing this who had turned it into a drinking game as well. Yeah. So by the end, the white loaf probably wasn't the point at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be honest, like, the rule sounds simple, but I think if you've had a little bit to drink, it, you, that could actually start to become quite fun. Yes. <laughs> sometimes it's the simple ones that it are is, the best. It is, it yeah. is sometimes the simple ones which are the best. Uh, we then have The Doctor. Again, uh, nothing to do with Doctor Who. Or is it? Um, and not as, uh, not as um, risque as it sounds. 
again circle of people one person is nominated to be the doctor that person goes around and tells everyone what their i think they go around and either they ask the person what their ailment is and then gives them a ridiculous prescription for it which they then have to remember <laughs> or they tell them what their ailment is and the person has to say what their prescription is and they're supposed to remember the ailment in the first place the point is to try and catch people out at the end having gone around the circle the doctor will randomly call out an ailment and the person who had that ailment has to then stand up and say what prescription you know hippopotamus dung and tincture of mercury and whatever (laughs) it's stuff that you would not normally put into medicine if they get it wrong then they have to do a forfeit (laughs) that does actually sound kind of fun it does sound fun um and the toilette which is the last example we've got (laughs) is very similar so you this time you (laughs) you nominate someone to be the duchess And then everyone around the room is nominated to be an item that she would need to complete her toilette. Right. um, Which you then have to remember. And I think it's one of those ones where the game just gets faster and faster. So the Duchess calls for her mirror and the mirror has to stand up. She calls for her comb. The comb has to stand up, etc. Right. So you have to be paying attention and remember what you are. And if you add a little bit of alcohol into that, I imagine it's more challenging. (laughs) Um, once again, if you're too slow off the mark or you forget that you're the comb or what have you, then uh, you uh, you have to do a forfeit. And or if you stand again, up when you're not supposed to. Absolutely, yeah. So like Chantel. Yeah. Okay, so we then start to, and I say get into more risque territory. It's the Victorian era, so risque, <laughs> take that with a pinch of salt. Um, but... The Victorians, obviously, they loved Christmas. They were, wow, they were super big on Christmas. Um, And they have lots and lots of games and games which we now, even now, continue to play and some that maybe we don't play as much anymore. So, um, obviously, we've talked about riddles in a previous episode, but riddles were very popular in the Victorian era and they did play riddle games like Yes and No. Yes, um, if you've seen Muppets Christmas Carol, they demonstrate that quite well. Yes. Where you have someone think of something and then everyone else has to ask questions that can only be answered with a yes or no before yeah. they can make a guess as to what the thing is. Yeah. And of course, you know, as part of this, uh, well, whenever I think of riddle games like yes and no, I do think of Peter Pan. And yeah. of course, the pantomime and stuff like that. We did have performances up and up until now and things like that. But pantomimes and sort of they would usually include riddle games, and they would usually have kind of Christmas sort of games included with into the story as well. Yeah. Um, and of course, it became a big Christmas tradition. So riddle games were obviously very popular. Um, card games were also incredibly popular. Yes, a um, little bit more sedate and again you would have played card games in the regency era yeah as well so you, they'd have had supper and cards kind of that would have been quite yeah uh, quite a, a normal pastime <laughs> but it's quite nice as well because you can uh, do you have you ever played joker yes i think so yeah we love playing joker and again if you end up with the joker there's a forfeit yes. it's all about the forfeits man it's all about the forfeit <laughs> Basically, if it was a card game and my grandmother knew it, then I learned to play it. (laughs) We used to gamble for pennies when I was in Ireland. (laughs) Typical. I got quite good. I got good enough with certain games that when I, years, years later, when I was a teenager, I was a natural at things like Blackjack and 21 and (laughs) poker. Why does that not surprise me? I remember confidently striding in and playing a game of uh, strip poker and knowing I wasn't going to (laughs) lose. Ending up with a few boys all sat there in their underwear. There you go. Uh, Typical, Jules. (laughs) Typical. Well, don't play if you think you're going to (laughs) lose. Unless that's what you want. Unless that's what you want, of course. Um, We then, of course, have Blind Man's Buff. Yeah, this was a big one. And this was actually played in the regency era but it got more boisterous in the victorian era to the point where um where hands would go mm-hmm. was you know people turned a blind eye to it a little bit more and it was definitely an excuse for to copper um, feel to copper feel and for people who to, and to, to ascertain whether someone was interested in you or not yeah um 
and because it it was a case of you know you you'd properly feel someone's um bracelets and rings and things and hands and and hair and this was very risky for the victorian era yeah. and how 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 wide or slender their waist was to try and work out who they were yeah in reality if you've ever played blind band buff um as we sort of played it as children it was a case of you literally just had to catch someone as they ran around you yeah absolutely <laughs> it wasn't working out who they were it was just catching them <laughs> um in the later victorian era you had to catch them and kiss them and then they were it so not a game to play with your family well you you absolutely can but i mean if you get it wrong and you're having a luke and leia moment then that's <laughs> probably not, probably not Awkward. great <laughs> um they of course also played charades um, yeah, their version of um, what what we call charades now um, is is kind of like a very truncated version of what yeah. they would consider charades, and it was something that was introduced from France, I believe, and they played played it certainly in big stately homes. Yeah, and it would be two teams usually, and it would take a long time, and there would be furniture moved and and um, costumes and things, and the the whole idea was three scenes which could be then used as clues to make up one single word and the other team had to guess the word. Right, yeah. It's, so, yeah, it's... <laughs> it wasn't just, it's a book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is such a good game, though. I know people are like, ooh, boo, and I'm like, no. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I have a lot of fond childhood memories of this game. Um, we then have... <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to lose Madeline to the names of these. <laughs> we then... <laughs> we then <laughs> Squeak, piggy, squeak! Yes. Um, so, you remember the previous Regency game, Buffy Gruffy? Well, this is very similar, except that the blindfolded player, having used their hands to ascertain someone's in the chair, has to guess who is sitting in the chair by using the command squeak, piggy, squeak. <laughs> The person in the chair then has to squeal like a pig and the person with the blindfold on has to guess who has just done the pig impression. <laughs> I feel like I should apologise to Madeline's family because you might end up playing that this year from Sound of Things. It's so horrifying. <laughs> it's like because it's the whole squeal, piggy squeal. <laughs> What's really well? I think that's the thing. That's where it originally came from. Um, that, that I didn't realise this, but Al, Alan asked what we were podcasting about today, and I told him, and I, I just said "squeak, piggy, squeak" as one of the games, and he went, "Have you seen Deliverance?" And I'm like, um, "No." <laughs> He's like, "You need to Google that. You might not want to mention that." <laughs> um, I haven't googled it. I'm assuming it's horrifying, but it's essentially that. Yes. <laughs> it's. <laughs> But without the horror vibes. But without the, well, yeah, it depends. It's it just it's just kind of really horrifying. <laughs> Maybe we'll play an adapted version where you have to meow like a cat or something like that instead. It just feels a little bit less um Yeah, like someone's <laughs> about to have their throat slit. We did say no bloodthirsty stuff, but I lied. Um, okay, so the next one is <laughs> is up, Jenkins. <laughs> I, I I hope you guys signed up just to hear Madeline snigger at all the, I'm the strange sorry. Victorian names. <laughs> um, up, Jenkins. Again, this is one which I think maybe it's more fun if you're actually playing, and it, this one definitely got adapted into a drinking game, mm. like big time. Basically, you have two ta- two teams of players, mm-hmm. and one team either has a coin a button or a ring um everyone sits side by side uh in their teams Mm -hmm. and their hands are flat their palms are flat on the table and they just basically bang their palms up and down on the table all together right um one of them will have the item the coin or what have you concealed in their palm as they do the banging right and then the other team says up jenkins and they slam their palms down on the table and the team that doesn't have the coin has to guess which palm exactly, not just roughly who's got the coin, but exactly which hand is it is under. Right. 
if they don't get it right, then the, the team that did not guess correctly has to do a forfeit. And you collect up the forfeits at the end and you sort of do them. Um, you can see quite easily how this got turned into a drinking game. Yes. Because instead of forfeits, it's kind of like, right, everyone on that table does a shot kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> oh, and the last one from the Victorian era doesn't have a silly name. Um, it's a, still a slightly silly name, but it's not a weirdly suggestive name. Um, but now you're going to tell me that it's horrifying, um, and it's called Throwing the Smile. Uh, this is... Um... <laughs> Don't do it, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> I think this did get adapted as a drinking game, but uh, again, basically everyone sits around in a circle and they have to be completely serious and completely sober. Okay. One person will smile, and then they'll pass their hand across their face and wipe the smile away... <laughs> hold it in their hand, choose someone across the circle and throw the smile to them. That person has to catch it and put the smile on their face and then it goes on around the circle. If you smile when you have not had the smile thrown to you, you get a forfeit. I imagine they'd also put on silly smiles to try and make people... Yes, you, I mean, you're supposed to be all sort of very very staid and Victorian, in fact. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I imagine it devolved, devolved into giggles very, very quickly. <laughs> Ah, oh, see, that's an innocent one. That's a, quite a cute one. Well, it was a, a way of uh, smiling at your crush in public as well, without necessarily giving anything away. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we then move on uh, into sort of the Edwardian and then sort of later eras. So we start to get into sort of the World War kind of two period. Um so, you know, they did have parlour games, but obviously thrift was the watchword. Yeah, um, they probably wouldn't have had quite such big gatherings of people. No. And if they did have a big gathering of people or a largish gathering, generally it was a community affair. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the time when you did start using village halls and things. Yeah. Um, and people would, you know, be there to sort of swap their chutney for extra wool or what have you. So it was very much the... A lot of the Christmas presents and things were handmade, or they, you know, you had to save your rations for a very, very long time in order to get something specific for someone. I mean, I think you had to save something like four weeks worth of rations to get enough sugar to make a cake, for example. Yeah. So it was very much, as, as you said, thrift was the watchword. Yeah. What I did find interesting about this one, and they did play some of the same, you know, parlor games and they would have had dances and things they had music you know they tried to everything to keep going Mm -hmm. um and there was probably a tremendous amount of community spirit because as we've learned through the pandemic um when you put us in adversity then actually what our natural instinct to do is actually to help each other out so um the thing i found interesting was that there were so many men young men who were sent off to war who went off to war for whatever reason that the um, the Father Christmases in department stores were actually played by women. Oh. And if you go and look online, just Google female Father Christmas World War Two. There's all these amazing photos of children saying what they want to Father Christmas, and it, it's women dressed up. You know, usually quite slender women because of the rationing and everything. <laughs> um, wearing big white false beards and things, and you can tell it's women. But these children just look so happy, and it, it's, it's really amazing. Oh, that's really nice. <laughs> that's very, very cool. So that sort of brings us up to kind of the modern day. And obviously Christmas games remain very, very popular. Um, we obviously talked a little bit about some of the ones that we do, but, you know, people will do puzzles. Puzzles are actually quite popular. Um, yep. Board games as well. Um, and some people do riddles too. Yeah, they do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, they certainly do. <laughs> not long. <laughs> Soon. Soon. <laughs> I should say, by the time this episode airs, Jules and I will have um will have had our riddle battle. Yes. Um, but for us it's not it's not come up yet, so uh we're <laughs> we're very excited. <laughs> We very much are. Yeah. So I guess 
Just... Board games as well. Yeah, well, no, I did say board games. Did you say board I games? Did say oh, sorry. Board games. Um, yeah, I always like things like Cluedo, but I was I've, I've always hated Monopoly. Yeah, I've always hated Monopoly. I'm sorry well. for Monopoly fans. I I get that you know for some people it's like this is the best board game ever, but I'm like I'm not a fan. No, I don't like Monopoly. Uh, some people play you know things like um, uh, well I've just forgotten the name, but you know the, things like Yahtzee as well and. Um, Uno, you know, card games obviously also remain yep. popular. Um, Scrabble. Scrabble, yes. Scrabble's... People don't play Scrabble with me. <laughs> no, I bet they don't. I bet they don't, Jill. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think ultimately board games, not, not just board games, but sort of Christmas games bring people together. Um, and in some cases, they they sort of make inevitable family gatherings ho- tolerable for some people. <laughs> this is true, uh, and I think you know that we've talked about the traditions and things, and it's mm. been a light hearted leap frog through time here. But yeah. the whole idea of you know, there's not very much you can do in the winter in the same way in in terms of sports and pursuits that you can do in in say the summer. Yeah, um, and certainly there hasn't been through the ages. So. The idea of keeping your wits sharp in the winter with riddles and storytelling yeah. and games of various types or the things to bleed off the tension because you're trapped inside. Um, that's clearly something we will still do now, even hundreds, thousands of years later. Absolutely. And I think it's nice as well, because sometimes, you know, especially when you've sort of been around people all together, there's this kind of this lull moment where you're like, we don't actually know what to do. We've kind of caught up now. So having a game, you know, it inserts a level of energy or it can also sort of calm people down. It can fill the space, um, the silence. It's quite enjoyable. Uh, weirdly enough, I saw, I was watching an episode of Would I Lie to You with Joe Brand on it. Yeah. And she has this amazing Christmas game that they play. So I'm going <laughs> to, that I kind of want to play now as well. So essentially what happens is that she fills a glass with water and yeah. then everyone sort of in the room is usually her sons, they will pick a category. So let's say something like um, trees, they'll pick a category. So what will happen is that Joe Brand will write down a tree. So let's say she writes down oak. She then walks between her two sons carrying the glass of water and in turn, they have to name different trees. So you, Rowan, you know, Birch, etc. And the one who names the tree that she's written down gets the water thrown over them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and they actually played it on Would I Lie to You? And like, just listening to it, you're like, okay, that's okay. And then you watch it and you're like, this is actually brilliant fun because you see the tension as you know that they're running out of things to say and the water's not been thrown yet and they know that it's coming (laughs) so you can see them like and they start to say like at first they're quite relaxed and then they'll start to say things just very quickly and then flinch like waiting for the water (laughs) to come and it actually looks like a lot of fun so i might actually try playing a version of that for christmas (laughs) yes I don't think you get my family on board with that one but yeah that does sound like it might be quite fun if you're the one holding the glass of water anyway yeah but I mean like it doesn't even have to be a glass of water it could be something like you could just have a sort of like a sort of like a plate a paper plate of whipped cream which you just smush into their face instead or you know something like that instead um, or you could do it with a forfeit, you know. Um, but it's actually quite a it's it's a quite a simple, but it's quite a cute game. I thought. There you go. One one for the <laughs> one for the road. One, one for the annals this year, guys. <laughs> we also like. I think people also play sort of guessing games with you know where you'll play a clip of music. Like if we're quite a musical family, um, you know, pretty, every generation in our sort of on my father's side of the family plays sort of music plays musical instruments so uh, we'll also you know have games where you sort of play a very quick clip of a song and you have to guess what the song is 
um, you know, little bits and bobs like that. So I just, I love Christmas games. I love the season. Um, and I'm hoping that people who are listening to this now will go, hey, I'm going to try this game with your family, with your friends, with your partners, with your cats. Um <laughs> With your cats? <laughs> Whose meow was that? <laughs> but yeah, but there's also things like, you know, drawing games, Pictionary as well, um, or uh, uh, Trivial Pursuit. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Trivial Pursuit. Triv- yeah. So I think there is a spoof version called Trivial Pursuit. Tri- trivial Pursuit, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So yeah, so there's lots and lots of options out there, um, and it is it, it's heartwarming. It brings people together. Um, it usually ends in laughter, and I think the other thing is that you know Christmas, as well as being a time of great sort of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, um, <laughs> is also it can be quite tense. Um, it can also be a time of great sadness as well, um, and you know also the times that we spend together can be quite brief so i think christmas games and games like that they sort of bridge they they create bridges between people particularly people who love each other but maybe are struggling to communicate or um don't have a long time with each other or don't actually have a lot of sort of um you know common interests games (laughs) yeah games actually just create that really that connection between people where you can all just be together you can all be involved and loving and have fun um with something that is sort of cross-generational as well yeah definitely so yeah i'm all for it i'm all for it (laughs) so we're gonna wrap up now uh before we do we would love to hear what are your christmas games guys what do you play what are have you listened to any of the ones we've listed and thought yeah i'm gonna give that a go let us know remember you can get in contact with us via our twitter our facebook or our tumblr both individually or through the dissecting dragons pages um before we go it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week and jules i believe that you've got one for us yes um well i intended to simply try a book in this series because a reader (laughs) said oh yes this um having started reading harker blackthorn actually said oh yes you write a little bit like this person annette marie um who has a guild codex series and this reader had sort of asked you're talking about interconnected series, you've got Unveiled, you've got Harker and Blackthorn, you're talking about there's going to be other ones as well, mm-hmm. and, you know, that, that Madeline's going to have other ones that, that are part of the same universe. Um, have you read the Guild Codex? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't. So I'm going to go and try that. So I tried Guild Codex um, Spellbound, um, the first book, which was called Three Mages and a Margarita. <laughs> and I am now on the eighth book in the series because I'm just like completely addicted to <laughs> um, and they are a lot of fun there's a bit more emphasis on, on muscular male torsos than perhaps I would normally go for in my reading fiction mm-hmm. but it doesn't really get in the way of there being a, a pretty good story there um, with its own sort of mythology to do with magic etc it's urban fantasy, it's fun and uh, yeah I really enjoyed them and what I really what interests me and what sort of kept me going as well is the fact that it's not just one series it's something like four different series that all sort of intersect with each other and I'm like actually that's a very good point because that is exactly what I'm creating with Unveiled and Melanie Beckett and Harker Blackthorn I'm interested to see how this other author does it so um, but they are a lot of fun and you know reading is also a traditional christmas pastime so guys if you're looking for something to read and you've gone through all my books all madeline's <laughs> you can definitely try this one <laughs> they're on kindle unlimited so you know if you happen to have some um you, you know you, you you don't get as many christmas kindle vouchers or whatever that that you would like and you happen to have a kindle unlimited subscription you can read them that way brilliant well all that's left to be said, guys, is that we wish you a very Merry Christmas um, or a, a happy winter, whatever you're doing. We hope it's wonderful that you are warm, safe, full of joy, and we look forward to catching up with you guys next week. Yeah, we do. 
Merry Christmas and goodbye for this week. Bye guys. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast. 